Hey everyone, the episode of Medical Dads that you're about to listen to was recorded by Stu and I about three months ago. At the time, we were thinking about recording a special episode as part of our one-year anniversary to celebrate the completion of a full year of podcasting. And we had this idea that we would talk about then and now, comparing parenting back in the day when we were children to parenting today. But as things happened over the course of the last three months, with these never-ending episodes about coronavirus and us falling behind in the schedule as our lives got busier, we never got a chance to air this episode. So now that it's Christmas break and we have some time to catch up on these episodes, here it is, a Happy New Year treat from the Medical Dads, then and now. Enjoy. And so this guy taught OAC chemistry. He was legendary in the school. One of the stories that floated around the school was that He's so weird that he doesn't even have TV in his house. And we were like, what? How could, how could an adult not have TV? Like, what's the point of going to school and getting a job and working for all these years and then not even having a TV, right? And what are his kids like? They're going to be so maladjusted. Welcome to the Medical Dads Podcast, a parenting podcast by two dads who happen to be medical doctors. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dr. Stuart Harmon, a pediatric emergency room physician and father of four from Ottawa, Ontario. I want to be in the podcast. Daddy, do you know what you're doing? Can I play a game on your computer? Daddy, where's mommy? And I'm your other co-host, Dr. David Shu, a family doctor from Toronto, Ontario. Welcome aboard. All right, Stu, we're back for another episode of Medical Dads. Back for another episode and holding it together. <laughs> well, in case people are wondering, Stu just did an overnight shift in the hospital, and that ended this morning, I guess. And now we're into nighttime. So he's way past his expiry date at this point. That's right. So it'll all be disinhibited and unfiltered today. <laughs> or he'll be asleep, either way. <laughs> <laughs> Those two things are not mutually exclusive. So... Before we get started, I did want to have a little bit of a follow-up to our last episode. Last week, we talked about bicycling and cycling, and this is actually one of the very rare times where the Medical Dads podcast has affected real life. Like We spend a lot of time sitting here talking about life and reflecting on life, but we haven't really affected life too much, except for the fact that my, you know, I'm sure our wives are like, what are you clowns doing with all your spare time? Right. But we finally had a moment of positive medical dad's results. So if people remember last week, we were talking about cycling and I was talking about how in my family, the kids have learned to ride and we have techniques for the children to learn to ride bicycles. But there was this odd person out. My wife was still on the sidelines, having never learned to ride a bicycle. And frankly, at the time we recorded the episode, there was absolutely zero inclination on my part to get her to try this again. Like I've tried this with her a few times and I had resigned myself to saying, nope, this isn't happening. Like, I don't know about you, but I have never seen an adult learn to ride a bicycle. Like I believe it's possible in theory, but I've never really seen it. <laughs> I've seen it before. I've seen it. it it's painful. In fact, <laughs> my mother was very specific about getting us to ride bikes as a kid because she saw an adult trying to learn how to ride a bike. I was like, oh, that's just too embarrassing. I think I, you mentioned in the episode that your mom learned late. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. But how late was that? In, like, like, I think when she was a young adult. 
Okay, so young adult. I mean, we're all young adults still, so yeah. she's probably we're comparable to that. But in any case, I had I was not even thinking about this at all. Yeah. But a few things you said during the episode kind of like tripped my mind. One of them was that it's difficult for older children to ride a bicycle sometimes just because of the embarrassment part right. of it, which which I didn't really think about. But for me, I was thinking more about you know you're you're an older child or you're taller. When you hit the ground, if you fall, it's going to hurt more. Right? Yeah. I wasn't really thinking about the mental aspect of it. So that was one useful bit of information. Yeah. And the second useful bit was your method, which was the, the Harmon method of bike riding, right? Where you just hold the seat and you just plod along with them for a while. And at some point you let go and they can do it, right? That's right. The daily bike ride, just back and forth to the mailbox. I had these two things in my mind and I still wasn't thinking about getting her to ride. Like This was not on the agenda. Then I happened to go to my mom's house and I was in the garage. Like I had to get like some wrenches to fix my daughter's bicycle. And then I saw at some point my sister has this really old bicycle. Like it's a maroon bicycle that we bought at Sears at least 20 plus years ago. I'm thinking 25 years ago. It right. has to be old if you bought it at Sears. <laughs> <laughs> Sears doesn't even exist anymore. That's right. It's like I bought it at Boots, Boots <laughs> Pharmacy. <laughs> so I was like, I looked at him like the seat on this is kind of low. It might be adequate. And then at, between that and us having just recorded this episode, I thought, you know what? Let's just try this one more time. <laughs> My wife was there. I'm like, okay, we're going to take this bike home in the van and you're going to try it. And she's like, no, I'm not. Like, I don't need to learn to ride. Like, there's, there's a bunch of these like built in like, refusal things that she has for it right <laughs> they usually sum up like i can drive a car why do i need to ride a bike she even threatens to break up rollerblades like nobody rollerblades anymore i don't even know where we would buy them if we wanted them right <laughs> so we get out like a couple nights later and and then i was just like today's the day we're gonna learn it right so get up on the there's a track near us like a high school has like a full 400 meter running track yeah so we get out there and so we're doing the Harmon method, right? Like I'm holding the seat and kind of jogging behind her while she's trying to plod along on the bicycle. And it works a little bit, right? It, it takes a bunch of tries. It works a little bit. And by the end of that first session, she went about 10 meters, okay. right? Which was not bad, right? For a first and, session, that's pretty good. Yeah, it was not bad. And, and then what I realized the next morning was I woke up with like severe groin pain. Like the Harmon method <laughs> causes the dad to have to use all these muscles he's not used to using because I'm kind of hunched over, but I'm holding the bike seat of an adult, right? And and she's tipping frequently. So I'm actually using my core. Like this is core strength we're talking about to hold her weight up a little bit to prevent anything from happening, right? <laughs> While running. All of these things being done in a situation of coronavirus where medical dad is completely out of shape, hasn't touched a basketball in months, right? So I wake up the next morning with like core pain, right? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I've used the Harmon method now for all my kids and, and I've never had groin pain. My, my groin was never sore. Are you sure you're doing this right? No, like, I'm not sure. What kind of motivation sure. exactly are you using? <laughs> well, the, the problem is that this is a podcast, right? It's not like you could demonstrate the method. I'm just listening to how you did the method and improvising my own version of it. You just, you, the way I described it, you imagined a lot of pelvic thrusting. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So the second time we get out, we, 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 she's, so it's kind of the same. She rides a couple meters and then kind of veers off the track. But yeah. this, on this night, there were more people there. 
right? So there's more people, and and then my wife was getting more frustrated, right? And then yeah. I remembered what you said, like. Actually, it's the whole psycho- psychology of it, right? Because now there's all these people walking around and nobody's laughing or snickering, but right. they do see that there's an adult trying to learn a bicycle and it's, it is a thing, right? Yeah. So I was like, okay, we're going to go, we're going to leave. We're going to ride another part. And as the coach, I'm trying to like keep my composure, right? Yeah. I don't want to like, I'm like, come on, let's go. Hurry up. Come on. Let's go. <laughs> right. So actually the good news is this is a high school and there's another parking lot to the school, but this parking lot, they've closed it. So there's like a gate and it's been shut. So no cars can come in. Okay. It's probably like 40 meters by 40 meters. It's pretty big. Uh-huh. And so we got to ride there and bang, no people, no, no uh, spectators yeah. is the key. So with, by another hour, she got it. So Harmon method is in, is completed. She can now kind of get on the bike on her own. And and the other thing we found was an an adjunct to the Harmon method is you throw in this thing where all the other kids can ride, right? Okay. So my wife is trying to ride, and then her son, who's my son, is four <laughs> years old, whizzes by and kind of just gives her this look, like, "What's mommy doing?" Right? Right? And then. And then mommy before was kind of like, okay, I think I'm going to go home. When you, when you get that look from your four-year-old, yeah. you get back on and keep pedaling again. <laughs> right? So it was a combination of Harmon method and good old fashioned peer pressure that, yeah. that did, did, did the trick. But the good news is we're like a week in and bicycle riding is one of these things that once you get it, it's there forever. It's really yeah. bizarre, right? Like your body just naturally remembers how to do it for the most part. Yeah. So there you go. Medical dads. <laughs> That's awesome. So does she love it now? Is your wife like, yes, let's go for a bike ride? Uh, I mean, her thing is, yeah, she likes it, but she wants to ride in like a clear space, right? Where it's safe, right? So okay. for... for I mean, at this point, I think that's a that's a reasonable way to go, right? Like going up hills and down hills and with traffic. This is there, there's so many more ways you can interject problems, but that one of the things is like even for our own kids, like we only ride with them, so it's a, it's a nice thing. We have a like we drive the van over to the school, ride around the school. It's a good it's a good time, yeah. but it does start it does touch on the topic of today, which is how the way we ride bicycles even is not the same as how we used to ride bicycles way back in the day with kids. We talked about this last week, right? Right. About how as kids, our parents were just like, get on your bike and go, right? <laughs> and now it's like, get on your bike and wait for dad. Dad's coming with you and you don't don't get out of my sight. You right? can ride as far as the next stop sign. <laughs> so, so that gets into what we actually wanted to talk about today, which is... We've been doing this podcast for about a year. You've heard a lot of our stories if you've listened to our episodes. And I thought it would be a good way to close out the year where we kind of spend a little bit of time and reflect about how parenting now is different than parenting was when we were children. Because during this show, we've spent a lot of time going back to our own childhoods and bouncing back between like what was our childhood like versus what our children's childhood is going to be like, right? Yeah. And I thought it would be a good time to sort of visit some of this because we've kind of talked around this a bit with the various episodes like bike riding and school and all these things. Yeah. But maybe to just sort of collect some of our thoughts about what the how the past and today contrast or compare. Like there's this idea that most of us have that things are so different today, right? Like the world we live in today is so frightening and so scary compared to the Pleasantville that we all lived in growing up. And some of it is, there's some truth to that, but there's also a little bit of falsehood to that, I think. And I think that would be nice for us to like break it down a bit. You mean, are you saying that our memories of having 
complete freedom to do whatever we wanted um, <laughs> and our and our notion that that's given us incredible self-confidence and that the next generation is doomed to be crushed by anxiety by uh by the short leash we put them on that that's, uh, that's somehow not true <laughs> maybe maybe i mean there's so many articles this day and age right like so many essays online that start with like mental health disorders are on the rise, right? Children much more likely to get this than they were 20 years ago, right? Yeah. There's so many of that things said with that tone. And how many conversations have you had with parents saying, you know, they're growing up in a different age than us. It's, it's not enough for them to go to school and just do well. They need more, right? Like this kind of general feeling of anxiety of the parent and the, and the children, right? It, I think it's everywhere. Yeah, well... I mean, we, like you said, we've talked about lots of little anecdotes from our childhood throughout the different episodes, and often we, we do that to contrast with, uh, with uh, how the topic relates to parenting today. So I think it'll be fun to, to formally focus on that as the, as the meat of today's episode, just uh, contrasting, this is how we remember things then, and look, here's, here's ways that we've noticed it's changed. Mm -hmm. let, me, let me kick us off with one. When I was a kid, we got exposed to way more secondhand cigarette smoke. <laughs> but much less secondhand marijuana smoke. So, <laughs> so the world's changing. Uh, how much marijuana smoke are your children being exposed to right now? <laughs> A lot more than I was. I mean, uh, how many times have you been out with your kids somewhere uh, at a park or a beach or something? I mean, you have to try to remember pre-coronavirus, mm -hmm. but... Uh, how many times were you out somewhere and then you can smell that skunk smell and you're like, oh, yep, somebody's, somebody's lighting up. Right. But just the other day we were in the park um, and we could see, see and smell some, uh, some teenagers smoking marijuana in the park. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, is a different, it is a different day and this marijuana issue is changing all the time, right? This is like a current affairs topic, yeah. right? Because it's just been legalized over the last couple of years in Canada and it's, you know, now there's going to be stores and there's going to be like shops like this, it's, it's going to be fundamentally different how we approach drugs with our children compared to when we were kids. Yeah, I mean, we're we're on a pathway now towards the the decriminalization of of every drug, you know, even the hardest drugs. Uh, we've got, you know, associations of police chiefs uh, recently in the news saying that in Canada they would like to see these like possession of of things like heroin and, and, uh, and fentanyl uh, decriminalized so mm -hmm. that they could focus their efforts just on the, the, the dealers and the suppliers. Right. And that's just, just very different um, than when we were kids. So how do you how, what do you think is the difference in terms of how you would parent your children when it comes to the issue of drugs? You know, I, I think when I was small, uh, when I'm thinking when I was sort of the age of my youngest kid, when I was five, uh, people weren't really even talking that much about drugs. They were just talking about cigarettes, where you would turn on the TV and there would be anti-smoking commercials. Mm -hmm. um, and it's funny because they're, you're being told this while at the time it was quite legal for people to be smoking a cigarette uh, next to you uh, just walking around in the mall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's ashtrays in, inside the mall when we were growing up. That, that's right, that's right. In fact, uh, my kids were watching an episode of The Cosby Show um, not long ago. Um, and I mean, putting aside all the other things about Bill Cosby, <laughs> just focusing on Dr. Huxtable for a minute, the kids were noticing that there was an ashtray uh, in the in the scene in his house. Um, 
and they were like, what is that? Is that a, is that a place for people to put cigarettes? That doesn't make any sense. Why is that in his house? <laughs> well, there are many things about the Cosby show that don't make sense anymore to, for all of us who were fans of it back in the day. <laughs> yeah, well, I certainly wouldn't want my kids to walk around Bill Cosby's house and start uh, poking around and asking questions. <laughs> no, there's, there will be no poking in Bill Cosby's house. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so so that's one thing that's different. You know, b- before it was it, the focus was just like don't smoke, and then it wasn't until I was getting a bit older that they started that official war on drugs campaign. And there's been a lot of research since then suggesting that that type of approach of vilifying drugs, scaring people out of drugs with the worst case scenario stories, and having somebody frying an egg in a in a frying pan and telling you that's your brain, uh, mm-hmm. those, that strategy supposedly doesn't work. Um, well, I think it was more that the whole war on drugs, like this is like mid-1980s when this happened, right? It yeah, coincided not just with not just with the media aspect of the war on drugs, but also they passed all these laws at that time, and especially in the U.S., saying that if you were possessing anything, you'd be arrested. So at that period, people started getting, getting arrested in droves, right? Predominantly yeah. minorities and black people. And leading to these crazy incarceration rates. And then the bigger picture question is, are we better off as a society 20, 30 years later, having done that to people? And the answer seems to be no, right? But uh, different people have different viewpoints on this. So the war on drugs wasn't just this media blitz that you and I remember, because living in our childhoods, we probably remember watching different strokes, right? When Nancy Reagan appeared, or there'd be that, every season there'd be that one episode where we're we're gonna stop with the jokes and talk into the camera and remind children that drugs are bad for you. That's right? Right. Tonight on a special episode of Full House that you should watch with the whole family. <laughs> I mean, but but we did grow, I mean, I don't know about you, but I did grow up in kind of this sheltered environment, right? The Chinese-Canadian upbringing where drugs is not something that we're even going to be entertaining as a discussion. Like, the, my parents were pretty clear about this, right? <laughs> Um, but now we grow up in this day and age where the, the lessons are a little bit more ambiguous, right? And yeah. you could, in theory, you know, have to explain to your child that, you know, there are stores where you can buy this, but don't buy it. Like, I don't think this is good for you, right? It's a bit more of a complicated parenting message. Yeah, it's much more complicated now because you're sort of saying, you know, this is something you shouldn't, you shouldn't do. But really, that's just your opinion. And in fact, you know, a lot of, of, of the other parents you hang around with, they themselves will partake in marijuana. And from their <laughs> point of view, the message is more, well, look, you, know, you shouldn't do it when you're kids. But, but, you know, by the time you're a teenager or adult, then you can be doing it as long as you're doing it in moderation. Mm-hmm. It's like, ah, oh, that's just a, a much more nuanced and complicated message to, to craft than, it, uh, than the message of just simply don't do drugs that, uh, right. that I got when I was a kid. Although that message is not that different from the message with alcohol. And we can see by how successful we are as a society dealing with alcoholism and alcohol abuse, how well that's turned out. <laughs> that's right. That's completely, under, that's completely under wraps, completely under control. <laughs> now we'll move on to the next thing. <laughs> It's time to legalize more drugs because we got alcohol in the bag. It's not a problem anymore. <laughs> but yeah, I, don't know. I mean, I guess we're a couple of squares, right, compared to some of the people who might be listening to this. <laughs> Absolutely. Not only are we, are we uh, doctors who, by definition, are kind of square, right? right? We're also doing a parenting podcast, dispensing medical advice. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> 
So we're, we're probably not the people to come out and say like, ah, you know what? If your 10-year-old has a joint here or there, it's not going to kill him. At the same time, I will say that it's probably not just us. I don't know of any parent who is really okay with a young child experimenting with recreational drugs of any sort. Like, I've never heard a parent say that, no matter how liberal-minded they are. <laughs> um, I mean, when I was a kid, it was not uncommon for my dad uh, and mom to let me drink like the little bit of beer left at the bottom of my dad's glass after he's had a beer at dinner. Mm. Um, but does that mean that, you know, when my kids are parents, they're going to let their, let my grandchildren's smoke just a little bit of the, the, the last bit of the joint, <laughs> you know, after they've had their after dinner, dinner toke. Well, this, this gets into an interesting thing because we've never talked about this on air, but from what I recall, you did not drink any alcohol when we were in medical school, which to me is, an well, to any student at Queen's University is an incredible feat, quite frankly. This is true. I, uh, despite being given alcohol as a, as a, or being allowed to have sips of alcohol as a small child, by the time I was a teenager, I was, a, I was an abstainer. <laughs> so as the, our group of friends, we never knew, we never understood the reason behind your abstinence. We, we would sometimes theorize about this when you weren't around and we could never get an answer from you about it. But don't worry, we will get to there someday on Medical Dads. <laughs> Well, you know, I think it might actually be all that, uh, all those television, all those television <laughs> episodes of shows where, you know, where, where Zach Morris and the gang got into trouble for, for drinking alcohol. <laughs> that, it's funny because, you know, you're describing just about the drugs in general, that, for, that in the Chinese household, that's just wasn't, didn't even seem like an option um, because of just the, I guess there's mm -hmm. the messaging from your parents. Uh, whereas for me, I kind of feel like all those war on drugs like uh, propaganda sh campaigns on the television when I was a kid were actually quite effective on me. Uh, <laughs> I feel like all that uh, say no to smoking, say no to drugs, you know, caution with alcohol. That, that I was getting that from every TV show that I was watching, <laughs> and uh, and I feel like it worked on me. So perhaps the problem uh, is just that other kids just weren't watching enough TV. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> Which actually transitions into one of the other topics we had on our list about just what's changed from uh, from before versus now. You know, I mean, now there's all this complex discussion around uh, screen time and uh, social media and mm -hmm. internet access, and we've yes. we've talked about this in in other episodes. But uh, when we were kids, the only thing that parents were worried about when it came to screens was just that you would watch too much TV and that TV would rot your brain. Well, and that and the eyes. Like, the, like, there was always this thing for us that if you watch too much TV, it'll ruin your eyesight. This was the refrain that I always heard in my household growing up. I feel like for me, it was always, if you sit too close to the TV, then yes. it'll ruin your eyes. <laughs> but I do recall, like, as a child... I got to watch a lot of TV, like like probably hours and hours of TV, right? Yeah. Like I would wake up early on Saturday morning and watch TV for like a good two hours before anyone else even got up, yeah. right? Yes. Like to, these days, my kids are not allowed to do that kind of thing, right? So I the, definitely I am parenting in a different way than my parents. And I, I do have a, this great fear of not so much television, but more the other things that they can find on the iPad, on the computer, on the internet as they get older. Yeah, well, I mean, the internet's a lot more scary than television because it's it's much harder to control what your kids 
see on the internet than it is to control what they mm-hmm. what they watch on television. Right. But yeah, it's weird. I mean, I also consumed uh, like enormous amounts of television as a child, mm-hmm. and uh, I know. I mean, I, t- I talked to other adults, including my wife, who when they were kids, they were actually limited into into how much TV they could watch. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, when I when I think of what was considered too much television when I was a kid compared to what we consider too much television now, it's it's preposterous the difference. Well, when I was in high school, there was this one teacher in our school who was. He was kind of known for being a bit of an oddball. He was like the OAC chemistry teacher. Like now I'm referencing things that don't even exist again. Like OAC is like, I don't even remember what it stands for. Ontario academic credits. Okay. So there used to be five years of high school when we went through and the fifth year was called OAC and it was supposed to be a university prep year. Right. And so this guy taught OAC chemistry. He was legendary in the school. One of the stories that floated around the school was that he's so weird that he doesn't even have TV in his house. And we were like, what? How could, how could an adult not have TV? Like, what's the point of going to school and getting a job and working for all these years and then not even having a TV. Right. And what are his kids like? They're going to be so maladjusted. Right. Like I remember this gossip going around. And then at some point during the year when I had him for OAC chemistry, he did talk about how, you know, he doesn't have TV. Right. And we were like in awe of this. Right. But then at some point, I think not that long later, like I was in in medical school and then in residency, I suddenly realized that it's now cool for people to say, I don't watch TV, right? Oh, there, yeah. there was There used to be a website called Stuff White People Like. And one of the things was, they like bragging about how they don't have TV, right? Because yeah. now it's like, I'm hip, I'm a hipster. I don't need TV, right? Yeah, well, I mean, I would have to say, I don't think that's limited to just white people, that sort of thing of like, oh, I'm better than you because I don't watch TV. And <laughs> nowadays, uh, it's less about I don't watch TV, like like cable. It's more mm-hmm. about, you know, yo, I know I don't watch Netflix. I don't watch shows. And, uh, you know, it's not even just, oh, yeah, I don't because because I'm above that. But it's like, oh, yeah, I don't because I, I don't have time because I'm so busy with all these other important things. People <laughs> say it all the time. But then you find you start talking about different shows, uh, different things on Netflix. And like, well, yeah, no, I've seen some of that. And well, yeah, no, I could pretty much describe the entire plot of seasons one through three of that show. But but right. but I, I, I never watch TV. I don't watch anything on Netflix. Right. So so getting to back to the point, the the way we consume media has changed. Yeah. And the technology has changed. So so for me, the biggest change is seeing kids on phones, right? Like we went through school and we didn't even have phones and now they have phones. And as a parent, there's a lot of like, you know, unease with this. Like, will the technology rot their brain or even worse? Like, I don't know, do some make them into criminals. Right. right? So this is this is the kind of thing that a parent today does worry about, whereas parents back in the day didn't worry about that so much. Like we actually had this thing where as kids was like, put on Sesame Street. That's how you're going to learn English. Right. Yeah. Put that on. That's how you're going to learn something. The other one was that in those days, parents would be like, you know, we come home from school. Just relax for a bit. Go watch a show that you enjoy. Today's yeah. parents are like, no, no, you don't turn that show on. You go do something productive. Right. If, if you're going to relax, we got to take a class and learn to meditate instead. Yeah. Well, I, you know, a lot of the concern around television when I was a kid was just that what you see on TV will be a bad influence for you. Mm-hmm. Whereas now we, we talk much more about the concept that no, just the act of watching a screen, no matter what it is, mm-hmm. um, changes your brain chemistry and is inherently bad for you. 
on top of the fact that it also displaces physical activity, which we are now recognizing more than ever how important it is. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. this funny thing where um, our concern about the danger of too much time in front of a screen has gone way up. But at the same time, uh, so has the difficulty of keeping people away from screens because there are just so many more ways that screens like, <laughs> impact your life right now. Well, like, since we're on the subject of screens, yeah. I think we've mentioned on the past few episodes that my son got really into cameras, right? Yes. And for his birthday, we got him this little camera, uh-huh. right? And it, it can play some games, unfortunately, right? right? And so... He's got the, he's playing with the camera. He doesn't even take photos with it. He's just looking at this little screen. And this is just the viewfinder of the of the camera. It's one inch by one inch. It's literally like a two centimeter by two centimeter screen. It's probably the smallest screen in the history of the world, right? And he loves it. So after a few days of this, I was like, okay, that's it. I gotta take the camera away. <laughs> right. This is this is I'd rather you watch TV. I'm like, instead of doing this, I'm gonna put on a show. Like we bought we have a 46 inch television. Like, why aren't we watching that? Why are we looking at this one inch by one inch Tetris screen? You got to get them a, you got to get them an old Kodiak film camera. I actually thought about that. I actually thought about that. They sell, they sell these like Polaroid things now where you can print the photo. The problem is that each sheet is almost like a dollar. And I'm like, that's just going to be pouring money down the drain. We have a couple of those cameras at my house. And usually what happens is, uh, when film goes on sale, you'll get some or like at a birthday party or for Christmas, they'll get some. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they'll blast through the 10 shots that you get in one pack. And then that's, <laughs> that's it, it for the camera for an extended period of time. Actually, it's not a bad idea. And it is just another example of how we are trying to take our kids back into the Stone Age. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, remember, remember what it was like taking pictures and then you don't have any idea if any of those pictures turned out or what they look like. And, and then you would drop it off to the to the developing studio and pick it up like a week or two later sometimes. Uh, and then you open the pack and then have all the excitement of seeing like, oh, okay, yeah, I got, I took 30 pictures and you know 20 of them don't have my thumb in it. And, you know, 10 of them are really good pictures. Okay, so... I used to, I have this problem even now where for some reason my eyes are always closed in photos. Like it's inexplicable to me. Like there's not even a flash, right? My wife will be going through our family photos from some trip and be like, your eyes are closed again. Your eyes are closed again. How is it possible your eyes are always closed? And I'm like, do my eyes, are my eyes always closed in like regular life? Like I, I don't know why this is, right? But this that used like to happen to me. Kind of a, it's not like a racist thing, is it? <laughs> Is that something where it's like your eyes are actually open and she's just can't tell? <laughs> no, this is a thing where in the old days when I had those Kodak cameras and all that, yeah. half the photos just thrown out, right? It was always like eyes are closed, eyes are closed again. Yeah, back in those days, a good photo was one where your eyes were open and red. <laughs> so here's the thing. Like there are some obvious differences, right? Like, like like we've mentioned a few, like our approach to drugs is going to have to be different because our society is making different statements and has different feeling about this now, right? We have different technologies than we did back in the day. But do you feel like overall, like what's your feeling about looking at your children's life and your, your parenting as a dad now? Like, is it different or do you overall feel it's kind of the same? Do you feel like most people are overly worried or overly exaggerating that it's different? Or do you feel like you know, it is kind of different. I think it is kind of different. 
I remember my mom kind of describing uh, how how she viewed it, where she's saying, you know, her parents when they were growing up, um, their own parents, so like my, my mother's grandparents, would have been like strict in ways on her own parents that by the modern standard would clearly, clearly be considered child abuse. Um, but that was acceptable back by the day. Right. And she's saying, you know, her parents in growing up that way, like what they would take from it was, you know, now as adults, here's the things that we recognize that our parents did that we thought were, you know, appropriate and good. But then, yeah, there's, here's some of the things that we thought they did that went too far. Mm-hmm. And then my mother herself says, you know, and then now in being raised by her own parents, uh, she has things, stories that she can remember from being a kid where she's like, yeah, yeah, this is something where the punishment was way out of proportion to what I did. Or, you know, I did something that's purely out of my control in an accident. And my my parents, the way they reacted to it or, or treated me for it would be inappropriate by today's standard. Mm-hmm. But not looking back at it with, you know, anger or resentment for her parents, but just sort of understanding that, you know, they improved upon what they had experienced. And now she, as my mother, tried to raise me by remembering some of the lessons of, yeah, this is what my parents did that worked well, but here are some of the things that that, that didn't. Mm-hmm. And so now I got raised, you know, easier than my mom did, you know, with, with right. you know, them being easier on me than my grandparents would have been. And then so now I suppose I now as a parent am also trying to remember as a kid, you know, here's what I think were appropriate punishments or some of the things my parents did that was really important. Uh, but then here are some things that I think, you know, could potentially be improved upon. Mm-hmm. So ideally, that's the way parenting would work. And so with every successive generation, uh, <laughs> parenting would just be getting better and better. Then your general take on is that your kids have it easier than you did. And they definitely have it easier than your mom did. Right? Yeah. I, I would probably say the same thing. Like, I do feel like my children have it much easier than maybe not that much easier than I did but definitely easier than, and like, I know for sure that I had it easier than my parents did. Right. That also has a bit of a function to do of like their whole life experience as first generation immigrants coming to here is kind of crazy. Right. So I think probably your parents experienced the same type of thing or your mom did, right? Like moving around, relocating, that just throws a whole wrench into, you're essentially starting over fresh in a new place. So that makes the whole process quite different so for our children to grow up in a country where they were born here they're going to spend most of their formative years here you know that is by itself already a huge difference in how you know they're being raised compared to how my parents were raised yeah well it's funny i guess mostly what we've been talking about so far in these differences is through the lens of of discipline Mm -hmm. you know and i i think we're getting to the point where yeah i as far as discipline goes i had it way easier than any generation that came before me in my in my lineage um <laughs> and you know my kids i don't know if they have it way easier than me than but but they definitely have it like, somewhat easier than me and i think we're kind of reaching the plateau of like i don't think things can get much easier in terms of discipline what? for the kids so, so in terms of discipline i guess we got to talk a little we've never talked about corporal punishment on this show <laughs> But as actually, it seems like it's a very natural parenting topic that we would have covered by now. I suppose. I mean, uh, I don't think there are too many people out there really listening who, who need advice about whether they should or shouldn't be doing corporal punishment on their kids. But I guess right. where I was originally going with this concept of, or what I, when we were saying that so far we've been talking about things getting easier for kids in terms of discipline, is that uh, 
through a different lens, talking not about discipline, but talking about expectations, uh, in that aspect, things may actually be much harder for kids than they mm-hmm. were before. Right. You know, on the one, on the, it, it's almost like when I was a kid, the only expectation was that you are disciplined. <laughs> as long as you do what your parents tell you to do, then you're fine. Right. Whereas now, uh, it's not so much about listening and behaving, but it's all these expectations of how you have to grow up to be this uh, amazing, well-rounded child who uh, participates in all these sports and who gets good grades and who goes to university. Mm-hmm. So, certainly in so, the time of our parents, going to university was, uh, you know, was a select few. Mm-hmm. I mean, it speaks to some of the uh, societal shift that's happened over the last couple decades, right? I yeah. was looking at some numbers talking about how the income gap between people who are you know, considered to be like the top earners in society versus the bottom earn- earners in society, how that gap has just gotten wider and wider, even since like the late 1990s, right? Really? Yeah. That the, so that there's a huge, there's a bigger gap between the top and the bottom. Yeah. Even going back about 20 years, which I found interesting. I, I was reading more about university and tuition costs and things like that. Yeah. And because I had gone to school in the States, even then the American tuition was exorbitant, but now it is far higher than it was even 20 years ago. And it's so much more unaffordable for, for Americans. Like most of this is American data, right? right? So it's so much more unaffordable for Americans to go to school now compared to before that it's really p- putting people who aren't as well off into a bigger bind than they were even when we were growing up. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I, I guess I always thought the middle class was getting bigger and bigger. Mm -hmm. Um, but I didn't, I didn't realize that the poor were getting any poorer, especially since we have a minimum living wage now in Canada. (laughs) Well, the problem is that the middle class, everyone wants to be in the middle class, right? If you ask someone like, what class of citizen are you? Everyone's going to say middle class, right? No one's going to say I'm in the I'm in the bottom class. I'm in the low class, right? Right? And people are, don't want. It depends wanna... on what benefits they apl- they qualify for when <laughs> Nothing, they say they're in a certain class, right? They, it's probably better to say low middle class, right? Yeah. But you also aren't going to say I'm in the top one percent, right? They're, those people are always saying oh, I'm in the middle class. I'm still middle class, right? Right. I mean, our society, everyone wants to be in that group because it feels comfortable to be there, and you you don't have to be too like narcissistic while you're in that group right you don't draw too much attention but 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 the truth is that they're the top group it's getting it's it's hard to get into that top group right so then it affects how people parent because you're parenting your child thinking that they're going to be in this society that's grossly unfair right and if and if they don't if they don't produce or succeed they're going to run the risk of being stuck on this train track that cannot ever jump up to the top of the middle class or the upper class. That That's the fear, I think, that a lot of parents have in 2020, which may not have been true like 30 or 40 years ago. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly uh, 30, 40 years ago, some parents were very focused on the idea that yeah, academics is the is the route that's going to put my kid ahead. That's going to give them all the advantages in life when they're older. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it was it was only a certain group of parents who thought that way, uh, that actually was a bit of a more guaranteed pathway to success. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas over time, it's kind of like the word got out uh, mm-hmm. that yeah, you know, university degrees and education is a is a is a pathway to success. 
to the point now where uh, the expectation is for many more kids is to go to university than 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 ever before, mm-hmm. which is then now devalued having a university degree, and then now mm-hmm. put us in this situation where yeah, it's simply doing well in school is no longer guarantees that you're gonna get you know get a job that you that you like and that gives you wealth, mm-hmm. um, and so. I guess that just led to an overall even bigger feeling of like competition now. Right, right. So I would agree with that. I, I do think that when we talk about education and how our children get educated, the way that we encourage them or the goals that we set for them are fundamentally a little bit different now than they were when we were growing up. Yeah. You know, I think everybody wants for their child to grow up and have a job that gives them a decent wage, but that also is fulfilling and that they enjoy and that they, they want their kid to be able to, uh, you know, be happy going to work because they enjoy their work. You know, okay, that's the, West, the that's the Western viewpoint. That's not the Chinese viewpoint. All right. There's no, yeah, but we're talking about Canada. We're podcasting from Canada. Right? Yes. <laughs> but there are many people China. that are not Western Westerners in Canada. Right. So this idea that your life is going to be fun. This is not part of parenting in 2020 in many households in Canada. <laughs> I don't know. I would say, I would say even in, even in the Chinese community, the idea of having work-life balance is way more on the minds of people our age parenting their kids now than it was for uh, like the. I don't know the if it is. Generation. I think it's on our minds because you and I, once again, we're a bunch of squares, right? <laughs> we we feel like we're reasonably well-adjusted doctors that do a podcast, right? I mean, I do think that in general, there's this idea that work-life balance is a thing. Like this wasn't probably a thing that, like I, I mean, definitely it's not a thing my dad would have thought a lot about. Right. As he was going through school. Right. But or I don't think consciously like as as, but to me, when I'm thinking about their experiences in the 70s, it's different because they were immigrants. So I don't really know what non-immigrant families would have thought. Right. But like my dad, my uncle, their their attitude was always you just got to work really hard. Right. You just got to keep working super hard and take no prisoners. But then when I look at the actual context of like my parents life, they did not work like crazy like they they, yeah. they did a lot of stuff at home right they were in the garden they're making meals they were enjoying life in a different way yeah right but it, they weren't grinding for money constantly the yeah. way other people necessarily were or grinding for achievement so on the one hand they did keep pushing us and instilling in us you know you must work hard but yeah. the way they lived kind of showed that you know take it easy don't stress too much like i actually remember when i went to university that was one of the things my dad said. Don't worry too much about school. Yeah, I think if we're just sort of looking at uh, like the country as a whole, um, I think now there's uh, there is maybe more uh, expectation for for kids from their parents about about what they're going to do mm-hmm. than that might have been the generation before. Just like on average, you know, I think the generation right. before there was a lot more of, you know, you know, we just want you to like get a job and work hard. But it's a little less of that thing of people feeling like, you know, yeah, like if I was, if I, when I was your age, if somebody had only put me in a few more lessons or had only uh, pushed me a little harder, or had only done this, uh, and then now people then putting that on their kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I think is a little different, and we're kind of, we've kind of talked around this a little bit, is th- that today the parent has more fear. Right. Like as a general thing, I think there's more things for parents to be afraid of now than there were back in the day. 
I don't, I don't like that's the general feeling I get. Like most parents that I meet will say this, you know, like I'm really worried about all these things that my parents didn't have to worry about with me. Right. Whether it be the social media or the drugs yeah. or, you know, the fact that the income gap is climbing and they're not going to be able to get a job like they're like nothing stable. Right. The, the kids are growing up in this environment that's so unstable. <laughs> I mean, I suppose because of coronavirus, that actually has become somewhat true. But, <laughs> but for the most part, I only agree with half that statement. I agree that perhaps there's much more fear and people worry about more things. But mm -hmm. I disagree that it's because there are more things to worry about. I mean, I mean, kids right now are growing up in an era where you have a chickenpox vaccine. That's like part of your routine vaccine series. We didn't even have that. But now people are worried about the vaccines causing autism and the vaccines doing this and that to the kids. Like this wasn't a worry. 20, That's only a small ago. number of people who haven't been listening to our podcast who worry about that <laughs> ridiculous nonsense. The vaccines did not cause autism. Anybody who's worrying about that should go back to like episode one of our podcast and keep listening till they get to this point. <laughs> we, we do but, listen. We do live in a day and age where people are worrying about ridiculous things and drawing and and because of social media allowing ridiculous things to propagate everywhere in a way that our children or we did not have to deal with like if you and i heard a message it was from different strokes straight up right it wasn't from some back channel internet you know reddit article but i mean i guess that might be a function of things like you know when our parents were young they had to legitimately worry about getting drafted for a war, mm -hmm. um, you know, or something along those lines. You know, I mean, our, our grandparents would have been the age to serve in World War II. Our parents would have been the age that if they're in the like, wrong place at the wrong time, they would have potentially been having to think about the Vietnam War. Uh, whereas, you know, parents these days don't have any of that stuff to think about, none of those type of things. And so, yeah, they have time to worry about all this other stuff. And I, I think coronavirus uh, or COVID-19 has kind of highlighted that, right? <laughs> like four, four months ago, oh my gosh, they're watching too much Netflix. What's going to happen to... Coronavirus happens. Yeah, they're not worried about how much Netflix they're watching anymore. Now they got other things to worry about. My thinking is that there's actually a lot more to talk about. And I do think we should spend a little bit more time on it, maybe in the, in the upcoming couple of weeks, to talk a little bit more specifically about like, what's the role of the dad in the household now versus before? What's the role of mom, right? Yeah. I think those are illustrative of some of these changes, right, that we're all dealing with. But as a general overview of this idea of change, like what's your take on it? Well, I would say that uh, you know, people just need to remember that uh, the idea that the, that the job of parenting is changing might seem new to us in our generation, but actually this has just been the history of parenting since the beginning of parenting. Mm -hmm. you know, the, 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 the role of parenting, the concerns of a parent, the things you have to think about for your children has been changing and evolving for you know, countless generations. Mm -hmm. um, but right now we're in a position where in a lot of ways, like the average person, their child has potential to, 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 to live the kind of dream life that we want for our children, maybe more so than ever before. Yeah, physically yeah. healthier, right? More That's opportunities right. to learn. That's right. Right. Safer in general. That's right. That's yeah. right. In a lot of ways, uh, the world is a better place to live now than it has been in a long time. Yeah. You know? I mean, a lot of ways it's scary what's going on in the world, but in a lot of ways it's better. <laughs> right? If you think well, about now compared to the time of cholera. 
Well, that that is a it's a good take home message. It's not a message I think that everyone agrees with, right? A lot of people like sometimes I'll talk to my parents or grandparents, and they'll be like they're worried about our children's future, right? Because they also hear that the world is depleting its natural resources, right? Global warming yeah. is happening, right? Uh, all these crazy things are on the rise, right? So what will the world look like 100 years from now or 200 years from now? No one knows, right? And I don't know if that was an uncertainty that we had to live with in in that sense. Like, I think we used to live with, like you said, like the specter of war. It was very immediate, right? Like, yeah. y- you know, in your when you turn 18, you might be conscripted, go do something, right? Yeah. That, and we might have to make a terrible choice at that point. Now it's not so much that. It's more like, you know... 200 years from now or 100 years from now, you know, that land of, that you're living on, it could be submerged, right? So think about that while you're going to school. <laughs> That's right. Although, I mean, even that has a bit of a silver lining from the point of view. It's not that in, in the previous generations, they were actually taking better care of the world than we are now. Like we're <laughs> just now on the same pathway that had been laid out like for us by uh, the previous generations. It was all, <laughs> everything they were doing was leading up to this. True, we blame them. Now. We blame them back there for doing this. Well, certainly, uh, certainly it's not like the previous generation did care about the environment, was conscious about plastics and chemicals, and that the only thing stopping them from, from exploiting the land was not the lack of the ability to do it or the imagination to do it, but that they consciously chose to not pollute <laughs> Hey, it's just, I mean, they, they were just going along, doing whatever they want to do. Uh, right. So the silver lining, I suppose, is that right now we're at a time more so than ever that a huge mass of people realize that like, oh, wait, we've been destroying the planet. And oh, look, if we don't do something about it, then things are going to mm-hmm. you know, or be terrible. So, you know, no matter what kind of parenting style people had, have now or had in our parents' generation, the world was still on the same like uh, pathway to the brink. But at least now, more than ever, we realize it, and there are people who care about it. So, you know, more now more than ever, you can be optimistic that at least there's a chance that uh, that we could change. Well done, well done. That's a very very optimistic and nice way to tie it all together. I, I actually quite like that viewpoint. It's not exactly my viewpoint about the future humanity, but I'm impressed. Well, when you got four kids that you're that you're throwing onto this world, you know, you got to have an optimistic view. <laughs> if we were having a pre-parenting podcast for people who are deciding if they should have children, then we could talk uh, frankly about all the <laughs> cynical, cynical reasons to expect the worst. Well, I'm quite interested in this topic. I think we should talk a little bit more about this next week because I think there's a little bit more we can get into. Okay, so the, the next topic will be um, like, be it resolved that the world isn't a good place to live in? And then <laughs> no. We can talk about <laughs> no, we will talk a little bit more about how parenting has changed over the years. Oh, okay, yeah, parenting over the years, yeah. <laughs> While we move towards this nirvana that we're heading towards. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll see you all in a week as we continue this conversation. That's right. See you soon, folks. Bye.